Welcome back into another episode of Peter's Proffer here in the courtroom of current events. And today we're going to dive into the topic of public or government housing. Uh, we're going to talk about Section 8. We're going to talk about it from uh, an investor's standpoint on if you're going to buy or build Section 8 type houses. But we're also going to deal from it for, for the uh, person with the benefits. So somebody that has these government benefits what they need to do to qualify for Section 8 housing or government housing, how they can keep it, how they can lose it, what it actually gets you. So we're going to dive into the nitty-gritty there with Pete's artist today who does some investing in Section 8, so he's got some experience with it. Um, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to do some giveaways going on in the future. We're going to do a $25 Starbucks gift card and one of our Tragos Artists and Tragos t-shirts. Um, we haven't figured out exactly what we're going to require, what kind of you know drawing or something that we're going to do for it. But keep an eye on our Facebook page, Peter's Proffer, um, and keep an ear to this podcast to hear how you can win that gift card. And we're going to do a bunch of them going forward to, to make it fun. So rate our podcast, subscribe to our podcast, like our podcast page, ask any questions on there, or you can send me an email, petertragos at greeklaw.com. All right, so we're talking government housing today. We're going to focus mostly on Section 8. Um, Pete, can you explain what that is, kind of where it came from, what people actually do to get government housing benefits? Yeah, let's start with what, why we call it Section 8. Sure. Um, the government subsidized housing program is set forth in the Federal Housing Act of 1937, Section 8, and that's why we call it the Section 8 program. And what it really is, it's federally funded and subsidized housing for low-income individuals that uh, that pays a portion of their rent payments either to uh, the landlord or a housing authority. Right. Okay, so what actually is the benefit that somebody gets when we talk about Section 8? Let's talk in generalities because every Section 8 recipient is... Um, is dealt with on their own terms, meaning individual, like individual basis. Absolutely. So what happens is this, for the most part, uh, you have to have a job and you have to meet some cert certain requirements uh, for the program. But normally, Section 8 will cover your rent above 30% of your adjusted gross income. So basically, you get to keep 70% of, uh, of whatever monies you make, and that 30% is what you have to pay. Anything beyond that Okay. Section 8 covers. Okay, so we're going to talk about it today on the podcast from a landlord versus a tenant situation. So either an investor that's buying these properties or building these properties, and then the tenant that's actually applying for the benefits and, and getting the benefit of the government housing. So we'll start out with the tenants. Um, how do you actually qualify? What is the application or interview process to try to qualify for these government benefits? You know, it's really hard, actually. You have to, first of all, meet the necessary requirements. You have to have. You have to be employed. You have to be within the income range set forth by the Section 8 program. Which is low income, right? I it mean, absolutely it, yeah, is. You have to be in a low income bracket, but still have a job. So they see that you're out working, but your job doesn't pay enough for you to be able to pay for the house that you need for your family or, or what. Do you have to show dependents that, or can you exactly be a single right. person? And it, you can be a single person or you can have dependents. What they do is they take your your household income and they uh, put it into a calculation. And now realize every housing authority uh, in, in where we are in Pinellas County, there is a St. Pete housing authority. Clearwater has its own housing authority. And then the rest of the county is covered by uh, the county's 
housing authority. But every metropolitan area has their own statistics and their own um, their own numbers. So obviously, the money you make in Clearwater, Florida is going to be different for you for your benefits than somebody living in Los Angeles. Right. So, okay. So they take that into account. Right. So, and, and I assume when you're proving your income and your job, it's got to actually be on your taxes, not a cash paying Absolutely. job under the table. It's got to be all above board. That's right. And it's need-based and you actually have to provide your W-2s and all of the, the, your income and then your expenses, your dependents, whatever it is that you have that's taking money out, obviously, of the, of, uh, of the whole pot. Then you apply. Okay. There is an interview process. Uh, obviously, the paperwork gets completed by the local housing authority, and then you wait. It's literally a lottery system. Is there is there an interview process? Yes. Okay, so you actually have to go in and explain what? Uh, you know, I don't know the specifics about what you're explaining, right. but I think the housing authorities just bring the, uh, the individuals that are applying in and talk to them so they recognize what the, the rules are and how they have to function in order to be a recipient of the program. Because it's pretty strict, right? It is very I strict. I mean, yeah, because a lot of people want this and apply for it and try to get it, but not everybody gets it. Correct. In fact, there are a lot of people trying to get it. It's called a voucher, a Section 8 voucher. That That is what qualifies them to have the, the housing authority pay the rent. Um, it's, it's a pretty stringent program. So, so what do you actually get? You kind of talk about the right. voucher. So let's talk about what you, is it, you know, I get this apartment for free and the government pays for this apartment for me. Is it, I can pick any house I want and I pay 500 bucks and the government pays a thousand. How, how does it work? Do they get a monthly check? How, how does it work? Right. What do they actually get in this process? Let's start with housing. Uh, as of 2016 forward, as long as it's a residential, um, uh, dwelling, it qualifies, meaning it could be single family, a duplex, a apartment in a big multi, multi-unit multi building. Right. It can even be a, a manufactured home. Those qualify. So that's the first thing. It's got to meet that basic requirement. Once you have the basics of what type of housing, then it's a decision that the local housing authority makes about what is the reasonable rent, they call it rent reasonableness, calculation for that particular unit. And they take into consideration the number of bedrooms where it is in its location, um, how many people are going to be living in it. And then what happens is the Section 8 office will advise the tenant what benefits they qualify for. So they will tell them that you have X amount of dollars to your disposal to be paid for rent or X amount of dollars to be at your disposal for rent and utilities, depending on how the uh, how the contracts are set up. Do they know that before they pick the place that they're going to live? Do they know kind of what their budget yes, is? They do, do they get a budget of some sort? They, they get a voucher that basically gives them a dollar amount. Okay. Now, here's the interesting part. Um, the housing authority is not going to tell you where you can and cannot live. It's fair housing. You can live wherever you want. So basically, they'll say, we'll get, we, we will provide you $500 a month, and you can either live somewhere that costs $500 a month and pocket all of your money, or go somewhere that's $1,000 a month where you pay $500, they pay $500? You can do that as long as it's within the rent reasonableness. For example, what I mean by that is let's assume you're a single person, okay? Right. If you want to go rent a four-bedroom house, the housing authority is not going to pay for you to have a four-bedroom house just because you so want So they it. won't give you the $500 voucher to do that? They will. If your voucher is $500, they give you 500 bucks. If the reasonable rent for a four-bedroom, let's just say, is $1,500, you're going to have to come up with $1,000. Right. That's on you. They won't tell you no, but the economics will not right, work. Right, of course. I get it. So- Okay, so when you're talking about what they actually get, there's a calculation to what they're going to get. Is it just kind of deposited into their account every month? Um, 
No, rent is specifically paid directly to the landlord from the housing authority. Okay, so they can't get $500 a month and go live somewhere that's $400 a month and pocket the extra 100 Correct. In okay. fact, when you mention that, when you do the actual lease for the property, Section 8 has their own addendum. And in that addendum, it indicates that there's no kickbacks. Right. You can't, yeah. as the investor, you can't like pay people 100 bucks a month to come stay with you so that you get the $1,000 a month from the government. Exactly. Right. And the other part about it is if the tenant owes a portion of the rent, they're obligated to pay it, and you are obligated as a landlord to collect it, or it's it's it could be bad. There are fines associated with. So the, that that bad. brings us right into our next point. So can you actually lose eligibility as a Section Eight benefit getter? As a benefit, meaning as a tenant. Yes, as a benefactor Absolutely. of Section Eight. Here's what happens, and and the the part about Section Eight that I think is the what makes it most valuable to a low income landlord, is that Section Eight evaluates the house every year. It also evaluates the tenant every year, and they determine whether or not both of those things are in compliance, meaning the house is still in compliance, which I know we'll talk about, and whether the tenant is still in compliance. If you, as a tenant, destroy a house, you will lose your voucher. If you're evicted, you will lose your voucher. Meaning you don't pay your portion of the rent. Yes, if you don't pay right. your portion, you, you, you can you lose, lose your voucher. Your voucher. Um, if, you are, if something illegal happens inside of the home you're renting, a drug you know, bust happens, you can lose your voucher. So there's a number of line items, illegal activity, what if fraud. You, what if you get a big raise at work and you jump out of the low income section? That's an interesting question. I've actually seen this happen. Uh, if you get a big raise at work and the big raise is big enough that it'll cover your rent, you will lose your subsidy, at which point you're covering your own rent. Um, what normally happens is you get a raise and it's like a buck or two and bucks an it's like an, an adjustment hour. of some sort? And they'll either do an adjustment, right, or... or cost of living went a, up, so it doesn't matter. Correct. Okay. They'll make a either an adjustment or the housing authority will take the new pay into into account and they will adjust the, the prorated amount of rent that the tenant has to pay. Gotcha. Okay. So if you lose your eligibility... Is it hard to get it back? It is lifetime. Okay, so once you lose it, it's it's over. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's a big deal to lose it. So that's why, you know, most of the Section 8 tenants actually do a really good job keeping up their apartment or wherever it is that they they live. The majority, obviously not everybody, but the majority of them take it very seriously. Okay. All right, so switching over kind of to the landlord section, as an investor and somebody that either buys or builds Section 8 houses or properties, multi-unit properties, whatever it may be, how do you get a property to be eligible to get Section 8 rent or Section 8 tenants? Right. First things first, um, in order to qualify under any of the Fair Housing Act uh, programs, Section 8, your property has to be up to today's code. In other words, you buy a house. It doesn't matter where it is. It doesn't matter how many bedrooms it is, but it has to be up to code. And that's issue number one. There are also some minimum requirements that have to exist. And they consider things like, for example, we live in Florida. It has to have air conditioning. You cannot rent a property without without some sort of air conditioning. It doesn't have to be central. It can be a window unit, but it has to have it. And how often are you, how often does an inspection happen to see if they are up to code? What will happen is before a Section 8 tenant takes possession of the property, Section 8 will either have their own inspectors or some of these smaller housing authorities have inspectors that they basically, uh, they farm out the work to, and they come in and they do an inspection to make sure everything's up to code. They check the plugs to make sure there's a ground outlet. They make sure the, uh, you know, the water is working properly. Can a Section 8 tenant um, file some kind of complaint to get them out there to do an inspection if they don't think it's meeting Section 8 standards? Actually, both ways it works, okay. yes. So if you think the tenant's not keeping up their end, you can have them do some kind of 
inspection Correct. or look into whether they're paying their rent or whatever it may you be. You will always have an inspection annually. Right. And if at any point in time the landlord believes that there's a problem, they can contact the Section 8 office and have an inspection. Same with the tenant. If the tenant says, hey, I'm in this property and the lights don't work, they call their Section 8 and they have a, uh, a counselor. And that person will then notify the, the landlord that there's going to be an inspection. Okay, so um, can any property be a Section 8 property? Or are there some things that are just excluded, like a certain size house or in a certain neighborhood or a certain value of a house or, like you said, manufactured home? There is nothing that breaks down geography because there's no what's called redlining authorized. So as long as it's within the territory of the housing authority— If you're willing to accept X amount for rent, you can rent this house for that. Okay. Um, So when we talk about that— how do you as the investor or owner come up with what the rent amount is going to be or does Section 8 just set that and you figure out whether or not you're going to agree to it? That's a good question. Here's what happens. Most landlords um, make a determination about what their rent numbers are going to be based on the market values. Uh, Section 8 does its own calculation and that calculation is adjusted every couple of years, give or take. Uh, and that's the, the, the way it starts. In other words, you I say I'm renting this property for 1500 bucks. The tenant, let's just say, has a $1,500 voucher. That way, for the purpose of this conversation, they're even on the rent. Section 8 will come out and they'll do an inspection. They will make a determination whether that property within the geographic boundaries is reasonable for a $1,500 amount rent. So if they tell you it's only $1,200, you are only getting $1,200. Correct. And you, as the owner, make the decision as to whether or not you still want to rent it out for that. That's exactly right. You can still rent it out for $1,500, but you have to realize that that tenant is going to be liable for the overage. Correct. Right, and it's up to you to make a determination whether they are, they're going to be able to afford it. Section 8, though, for the most part, is very reasonable uh, when it comes to the rent calculations. Um, I'm, I very rarely have... A situation where somebody who qualifies for the amount of bedrooms that I have uh, available is not going to be within the reasonableness range. Okay, so when you're talking about um, qualifying a house or a property to be Section 8, can you, and now as the investor or landlord, can you lose eligibility? Yes, you can lose eligibility and too. And who actually loses eligibility? Is it that property address? Is it your ownership company? Is it you personally? Who loses the opportunity to do Section 8 houses in the future? It is whomever is the contractee or the contractor, excuse me, with the housing authority. So it will be a company. Most of the time it's a company, but there has to be somebody that in the company that is the the primary, um, how do I call it, the person that qualifies the business, and that person has to be clean. For example, if you've got, you know, six felony federal felony convictions for gotcha. you know human trafficking you're probably not going to qualify so how would you lose your eligibility then as the investor the easiest one and the one that we see most often is the landlord does not keep the property up and the living condition, the living condition. Right. and i'll tell you there's two sides of it there's a tenant side of it and then the landlord side of it if the place becomes filthy that's a tenant problem but if the roof leaks that's a the only problem. way of ingress and egress is a set of stairs that is totally rotting and you don't fix the stairs that's going to be on you as the owner exactly and okay. what they'll normally do and they're reasonable they'll give you notice of something that they find it's deficient you got 30 days to fix it if you don't fix within 30 days they will notify you at this point that until it's you know that they've got another 30 days to fix it but they're not going to be paying you rent for the next 30 days if by that end of that second 30 days you haven't repaired it you've lost your your contract is there a limit to how many Section 8 properties you can own as an investor? I don't think that there's actually a limit uh, because there are people that have thousands of units. Uh, and on the other side, there are people that may only have one. Right. And can a new construction be a Section 8 house if you yes. want to just build a couple new construction? Frankly, those are the easier ones to qualify because they're right up to code anyway because they just came out of manufacturing. 
Okay, what about multi-unit properties? They can be Section 8 as well. Yes, multi-unit properties, I'll tell you, it's interesting. A lot of the big apartment buildings that you see around town are actually built by real estate investment trusts. We call them REITs. If you were to go into those those apartment buildings and look at the actual tenant makeup, you'd be surprised how many of those properties are actually Section 8 uh, eligible people living in them, and you wouldn't know. So overall, thinking of the Section 8 process and the benefits and how it all works and being involved in it over the last couple of years... How do you kind of think that the Section 8 process works? Do you think it, it, what tweaks can be made, if any, or do you think it actually works well as it's currently constructed? Um, I think it works well. Uh, the, the concept is to give people that are working a little bit of help to get them to a place where they can live like reasonable and respectable human beings. There is a push, and it's, it hasn't. It got a little bit of traction, maybe about a year and a half ago. Uh, who is the Department of Home? The uh, HUD secretary is Ben Carson. Ben Carson is Trump's Secretary of Housing, and his position has always been that every time that you put somebody in a position where they're dependent on a government dollar, you basically are handcuffing those people so they can never make themselves better. And what I, I think he's getting at is. I can never make more money because if I make more money, then I lose my benefits. Yeah, or if you're working more hours or working harder, you're not really getting any more money. Exactly, because you're losing right. for every dollar harder you, or for the harder you work, you make a more, an additional dollar, you lose an additional dollar. Exactly. So it's a net loss to you. So what I think is going to happen at some point is they're probably going to make some changes to uh, either to put time limits on how long you can be on to the program. To get people on their feet as, a, as opposed to keeping them propped up. Because there are people that have been on Section 8 for literally decades. Right. Um, and they've tried to make themselves better and they lose their benefits and they're right back on the program because they just can't right. make ends meet. So I think you're going to see some changes like that over the next, well, depending on how the election goes in 2020, will dictate how far that goes. Right. But other than that, the program for the most part is really easy. Um, the the, the uh, people that actually handle the program are easy to deal with and the tenants are normally excellent to deal with. Awesome. Well, so that was a cool little niche subject. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you have any other listener questions like that or somebody we can bring a guest on to be an expert on some topic you want to learn more about, post it to our Facebook page, Peter's Proffer. Find us on social media at Tragos Law or send me an email, petertragos at greeklaw.com.